Good evening. It is 11 p.m. in Slovenia and 5 p.m. New York time. So Slovenes that will go to work tomorrow are probably asleep. Uh, my, my guests tonight are uh, Dennis Dale. I've had him on um, uh, uh, yeah, on um, last um, last week, last Wednesday, and Dr. E. Michael Jones. That was my guest, uh, probably four times till now. Um, a, a true Catholic erudite, um, and um, the basic idea tonight was to to talk about some some more more of a cultural or social questions about the situation in in America and um, one of the, the the things that puzzled me and that I wanted to ask dr. dr. Jones is um, what is his stance on 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 Milo's conversion therapy and and homosexual uh, homosexualism uh, as being Mm, something that can that can be uh, reversed into into straightness, sort of say. Yeah, I was just on a show with uh, Milo for the first time. We got together, uh, and uh, I had already seen the videos where he announced that he had uh, kicked the habit, where he's not going to live the homosexual lifestyle anymore, and I applaud him for doing that. It's uh, it's it's a sign. First of all, that it's not immutable. You're not born with this. It's a bad habit you acquire over time, and it's a bad habit you can kick uh, with with the grace of God. He's a practicing Catholic. He's going to use that uh, and try and kick the habit. The, that being said, uh, as Catholics, we also don't believe in cheap grace. Cheap grace means uh, uh, I'm saved. I once was lost and now I'm found. And there's an instant uh, change overnight where you have no uh, residual effects of the bad habits that you acquired over those years. That's not reality. Okay. It is a situation where it, it took you a long time to get into that state and it might take you a while to get out of it as well. People who are involved in AA know what I'm talking about. Uh, you got a bad habit, drinking, bad habit. It took you years to get into that bad habit. It's going to take you some time to get out of it as well. Maybe not years if you're lucky, but it'll certainly take you time to do it. And that's part of the problem. People want instant results. They want some type, some type of magic pill that will cure them of it. So I think Milo is sophisticated in that regard. Um, I mean, to, to give you a specific example of what I'm talking about, he's got a persona that is the homosexual persona. He still has it when he's in public. He still talks like a homosexual. He's got that, that kind of flamboyant uh, homosexual campy uh, attitude. Uh, I, 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 he acquired this over a period of time. I don't think it's appropriate once you've gotten rid of the habit, uh, but it's up to him to find some type of new, you know, persona where, you know, like other than simply going to Walmart and buying flannel shirts and wearing baseball hats or something like that, you know, driving a pickup truck and that type of stuff. Uh, but, uh, you know, that's something I'm talking about. This is also, there's a related issue I'd like to talk about, and that's being a Jew. Uh, 
it being a, this is uh, also a, a a reason for conversion. If you're Jewish, you know you are, live uh, you've lived a life in rebellion against Logos. That is the whole point of being Jewish. And by the grace of God, you can uh, kick that habit, and you can become a Christian. And at that point, the Catholic Church says, once the water of baptism flows over your forehead, we accept you without prejudice. But that doesn't mean you didn't have acquire bad habits during your life as a Jew. And one of the worst habits that Jews have acquired is calling anybody they don't like an anti-Semite. Uh, I'm telling my, my Jewish friends, any Jew who is thinking of converting, you know, God bless you, come and join the Catholic Church. The waters of baptism will bring you salvation. But you're still going to have to work on your bad habits. So we have a situation now where uh, some Jewish converts, they come into the church, and they're still calling fellow Catholics anti-Semites. Stupid, stupid behavior. Uh, what exactly was your conversion? Uh, what did that entail? This is a bad habit you have to get over. You know, uh, it's like what uh, the church fathers said about sin. Sin is the arrow. You're pierced by the arrow of sin. You can remove the arrow, but the wound is there. And you have to have some spend some time convalescing from that wound. So, yeah, I, a great idea, but let's come into it with uh, a realistic expectations of what the, uh, the new life is going to be like. Yeah. What's your opinion on, on this topic, Dennis? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, from a secular point of view, I think uh, uh, those of us, I mean, I'm rooting for him, obviously, but like the professor like says, says, he's got to prove it over time. time. He's got to live this live life for a couple of years, years maybe, maybe, or something. And, uh, you know, uh, and prove to us that, that he has, in fact, changed his life. Yeah, he's going to catch a lot of flack, um, you know, if he gets any more attention for this, of course, the thing is we all might lose interest and in, in not even be talking about it five minutes from now. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'm just rooting for him. I don't trust Milo. Uh, you know, the whole thing with him has always been, I mean, even when he was this, you know, flamboyant gay so-called right winger, it, it felt like the guy holds these things loosely. You know, and that he might, uh, I, you know, I don't think this is just another grift. I think he's in earnest. But like I said, he he needs to prove to people. He needs to walk the walk for a while before you. He, his character always seemed as if uh, he would have come out of the lab, lab of um, conser conservative, uh, neoconservative thinkers who, who would like uh, to um, persuade us all that it's possible to have a a, um, um, a, a, a multicultural, multi-religious, multi-ethnical, uh, ethnic uh, society as if uh, uh, America was such from the beginning on, um, on and, and yeah, it's really funny. I, I I was always I was always amazed of. I was always thinking about Milo. Is, is he for real? He he always seemed like a, such a cliche gay or, or homosexual. 
but but I'm but I'm I don't know him personal. I, I through some friends I heard about him that he used to fight in the pubs back in 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 in, in the Britain, and he was uh, a tough guy uh, basically when he was younger. But these are all all, all uh, speculations, and, and, and uh, I I don't know. <laughs> well, the the thing before it was like he was trying to sell us in you know whatever right wing movement over here, uh, you know all of us opposing things. He was trying to sell himself to us as yeah, look like the black conservative, right? You know, here I'll be your your ally and I'll be untouchable because I'm black. And I think he was trying to do that with the gay thing, or else and also you know, and being so flamboyant and open about it. It was like he was trying maybe to attract somewhat degenerate younger people. Look, we can be fun over here and degenerate too, uh, you know, and save America or whatever the heck. Um, it's good to see that's all done with, whatever happens to him now. Yeah, we'll see. Dr. Jones, are you optimistic about him being uh, as successful of a public per person uh, when he stops... Um, playing his his persona his character well i have to be optimistic uh, uh from a big picture perspective because uh that's what that's what grace is, does to you i believe that grace can change you and transform you i believe you can be stuck in your sins without grace and never get out of it i think that with grace it's a it's a struggle it's not miraculous <laughs> i guess it is miraculous no, it's not uh, magic. There's still an element of struggle that's involved in this thing. So just have this, be, be careful, be, be aware that there's a struggle, that you're going to have to go through a struggle. And, and uh, it, it's, the other thing is it's a very bad habit. I, you know, I was thinking uh, along these lines of the difference between Milo and Roosh. Roosh just had a conversion. Roosh uh, was the pickup artist, traveled all around the world sleeping with women after he picked them up in bars. And then he woke up one day and decided not to do it. He told me that I had a role to play in his conversion, uh, for which I'm grateful. I think that at a certain point, uh, people started reading my book, Libido Dominandi, Sexual Liberation and Political Control. And it had an effect on a lot of people. And Roosh was one of them. But there's a difference between Roosh and Milo. That, that's, that's what I was thinking. There, there's a, uh, there is, is the, let's put it this way. Is the difference between Roosh and Milo the difference between homosexuality and heterosexuality? It is, does homosexuality really damage you? I mean, let's put all, all sin damages you. Sexual sin damages you from the inside, says St. Paul. The question is, does homosexuality really damage you in a, in a, in a way that requires more, more uh, emergency treatment, like a longer stay in the hospital? I think it does. I think that's what I'm, what I'm seeing here. And I think one of the problems here is the, a kind of narcissism. It, uh, there's a, there's a, a, a narcissism to homosexuality that makes you the center of the universe and makes you want to be the center of the universe. And maybe your, your, your homosexuality is an expression of that narcissism and that when the homosexual behavior stops, you still have to deal with that narcissism. I, I, tried, to, I tried to explain this to Michael Voris. 
he's also a homosexual, uh, a reformed homosexual. And I tried to explain it to him and he just completely rejected what I was saying. But I, I think there's an element there that, that he should have should have listened to me and should have should have taken to heart what I was saying because that was an example, I think, of, of cheap grace on Michael Voris's part. I mean, first of all, he hid his whole homosexual past from the people who were working with him. I was working with him. I I, I, I was working with him. Uh, he interviewed me, did a good job of interviewing me. Uh, there was an element uh, that I felt uneasy uh, when I was around him. I, I kept tr trying to deny what I thought I was seeing, like his interaction with waiters and stuff like that uh, when we were out uh, eating together. And then his past caught up with him. And then uh, the question is, what are you going to do? And we tried to work out some type of deal where I was trying to deal with the narcissism. I said, look, it's not good for someone in your position to be constantly presenting himself, putting himself in front of the camera. That's really not a good idea. Why don't you just step back uh, and withdraw into the private, you know, behind the scenes, use your expertise. We'll, we'll put it to use. We'll work out some type of deal. Well, he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. He, he agreed to do it. And then he stopped doing it. I wrote a book, uh, uh, an ebook about this. Uh, called The Man Behind the Curtain. It's available at culturewars.com. Uh, I published as an article in Culture Wars magazine. Uh, you can read it in detail if you want. But, I mean, there was something about this, this narcissism that just demanded to be in front of the camera, which was not productive for this guy. He, 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 you, can, you can be saved if you commit homosexual sins by the grace of God. But that doesn't mean you should go on and become a spokesman for the Catholic Church. That doesn't mean that. Because maybe you've got some distortion. I'm saying that the homosexual sin is so deranging that it creates a, a distortion in your perception of reality that you don't really make contact with reality. You're, you're constantly dealing with your distortion of reality rather than reality itself. And that came across, I think, I mean, he's in trouble now because he's being sued by a priest, but he would just have this ferocious anger at the Catholic Church, this ferocious kind of sadomasochistic relationship with the church, where he was just determined to expose every single homosexual he could find in the church, no matter what. Uh, and it was leading to damage. It was damaging people. So I would, you know, I'm telling people, you know, yeah, you should get baptized. And people are writing back to me. One guy wrote back to me. He said, well, I'm not going to become a member of the Catholic Church. So I said, well, why not? And he said, well, it's full of faggots. And then I said, well, how do you know that? And he said, well, I've been watching Michael Voris. So this guy, he's transmitting a distorted image of the Catholic Church because of this damage that homosexuality had done to him. And, and I didn't think that made you a good candidate for being a spokesman for the church. I mean, you could, as I said, you can still be saved. I, I compared it to the priesthood. First of all, he was trying to study for the priesthood. He got kicked out of the seminary. He's got this rage against the Catholic church because of that, because he knows that there are homosexuals have, who have gone on to become ordained. And why did, how, why did they do that? Why this blah, 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 you know? Uh, uh, but, um, the rage is distorting your view. So I said, look, if you're becoming a priest, uh, you have to have all 10 fingers. 
Okay, there are people in this world that don't have 10 fingers. Does that mean you're a bad person because you don't have 10 fingers? No. Can you be saved with nine fingers? Yes, but you can't become a priest because there are certain requirements that's a, a higher above. Now, being a spokesman for the Catholic Church is not being a priest, but you're still appointing yourself a spokesman. And that was precisely what the Diocese of Detroit, where he lives, reacted to. They, he called the thing uh, church militant. No, what did he call it? No, that's what he calls it now. He called it real Catholic TV. And as soon as he put the word Catholic in, the diocese got upset, and they basically threw our mutual friend, the guy who helped him get started, uh, he broke out a deal where he changed the name to Church Militant. That was the sign that the church didn't want you to be the spokesman. They knew about your past. They knew that there was some type of distortion going on here. That's what I'm trying to say about the residual effects of homosexuality. That's what I'm trying to say. Have you ever, uh, Dennis, uh, have you ever researched or, or, or thought about homosexuality? Uh, have I? No, I, I don't. I, I, mean, I can't claim any special expertise, but I think the doctor's right. Homosexuality is downstream of something else. Um, but there may, I mean, there may be a very few men who seem to be genetically predisposed towards, you know, the, the sort of stereotypical, very effeminate man who was probably very effeminate as a boy. But those guys are, are fairly rare. And I've come around to the opinion that it's a choice, despite everything they're saying now, um, that it is, in fact, a choice. And it's a choice people make because, like the doctor said, narcissism um, and also I sense a sort of rage and a sort of resentment against the rest of us um, that might just be the life histories of the individual case. But, um, you know, there's a resentment and it's uh, coming to the fore more and more now that they have political power, uh, just sort of a resentment right. of us as the other. That's right. You're absolutely right. The classic example now is the attorney general of the state of Michigan. She's a, a Jewish lesbian. Okay, and now she is going after some guy, a local guy, for sexually assaulting his wife. Now, I know this story. I was uh, back in the 80s. It was called rape in marriage. There was a whole big rape in marriage uh, dance craze back then. And it was all driven by this homosexual hatred of what is normal. These people should not be in positions of power, especially a practicing homosexual, because they hate normal people. If there's ever a classic example, it is Dana Nessel, the attorney general of the state of Michigan. She hates the overwhelming majority of the people of Michigan. She hates them. If you want literary references, read uh, E.M. Forster's homosexual novel, uh, Maurice or Morris. Uh, there's a passage in that. This is uh, was suppressed. Uh, people didn't talk about being homosexuals openly at that point. Uh, Forster was a member of the Bloomsbury crowd, which was a homosexual cabal in England among the upper classes. Uh, and there's a passage in that novel where Morris is standing there and the king goes riding by and he's full of rage. Well, calm down, buddy. What's the rage about? Well, the rage is that you are at war with nature. This, this is the difference between uh, Roosh and Milo. 
You know, Roosh acted according to nature. It was sinful, okay, but it was according to nature. And Milo acted against nature, which has a, a much more greater deranging effect. And it causes you to hate, hate uh, what is natural because you know you're in rebellion against it. So uh, I, this is also, I wrote this up. It's the second chapter in my book, Degenerate Moderns. And I wrote that 25 years ago. No, I guess it's going on 30 years ago when no one was talking about this. And I talked about the homosexual as a subversive. And I was talking about the Cambridge traders because that was the next generation down uh, after Bloomsbury in, in England. That was Guy Burgess and Sir Anthony Blunt and people like that. But the same, the same thing, uh, they, 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 the next generation had uh, an affinity to communism. They, were, they, 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 they like to betray their country. Forrester, if there's one thing Forrester, Ian Forrester is famous for, is the saying, if I had the choice, take the, make the choice between betraying my friends and betraying my country, I hope I would betray my country. That's what he said. And he said that because he's a homosexual, because of the rage that they have against Logos and the social order. Well, there's nothing more alienating than taking this this lifestyle. That's right. That's right. <clears throat> um, I, um, Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist, um, uh, <laughs> a couple of weeks ago or days, I'm not quite sure. He got um, he got stripped of his humanist of the year award. <laughs> because of supposedly um, talking mean-spirited mean about, about um, trans people or something like that. Now, <laughs> homosexuality is a complex topic enough, but this trans whatever people, this comes a, this is a whole whole other story, isn't it? Well, yeah, we're going metaphysical now. Now, yeah. now we have raised this to a metaphysical level where we're not uh, rebelling against gender, although we're doing that. We're rebelling against being, your being, as male or female. And we are so confident in our rebellion, we'll take the uh, uh, chemicals, <laughs> uh, hormones, and then uh, horrific uh, operations. Uh, Brother Nathaniel showed one and got banned uh, from whatever platform he was on, uh, this operation where they remove your genitals. This is horrific, but it's an attack on being. And, and who is ultimate being? God. God is ultimate being. He's the ultimate existence and ultimate essence combined. And to the extent that we have being, we have it through God's creation. And so this is a fine, one step further into the realm of uh, uh, way uh, way beyond unnatural homosexual practices to the point of self-destruction but you can see you can see the homosexuality as leading up to this as leading up to this you know it's a progression it's a trajectory that makes sense in a demonic sort of way so if you have take a guy like uh, michel foucault um who was in rebellion against logos in his own way he was a homosexual french intellectual uh, uh, and uh, he went to uh, 
San Francisco. I got hired at Berkeley and then was uh, at the 70s, entered the world of the bathhouse, uh, San Francisco bathhouse, the great uh, coming out of the homosexual behavior. So the, the, uh, the point I'm trying to make here is if you give this man whatever permission, you do whatever you want. You've already taken that permission. What did he do? He punished himself. He punishes. He got involved in sadomasochism. He went to those bathhouses to be punished because he knew what he was doing was was wrong. Now he went wrong in, as a Catholic. He was a Catholic, and at the same time, you have Jacques Derrida, the Jew, the uh, heir, uh, scion of rabbis, Algerian rabbis. He goes wrong as a Jew, and he's got this metaphysical attack on being. That's what Derrida is about. He's metaphysical, and that's he, this is the fulfillment of both of those things kind of converging a kind of metaphysical attack on being, thinking that you can uh, have Lord over who you are as a gendered person through a surgical intervention. So it's, it's also like the fundamental expression of uh, libido dominandi, sexual liberation of political control. The ultimate act of sexual uh, liberation is suicide, sexual suicide by uh, castrating yourself. That's what we're going, that's what we're going through now. A little bit off topic, but if you mentioned Derrida, I heard a guy, I, I am not sure whom I heard, but uh, he was criticizing uh, um, Jordan B. Peterson about analyzing postmodernism and neo-Marxism and so forth, and he said that um, Jordan B. Peterson doesn't uh, understand postmodernism good enough, because if he would, then he would understand that postmodernists were supposed to be created by the or paid uh, by the CIA to to fight neo-Marxists from the Frankfurt Frankfurt School, but I'm not sure if this is true. Uh, are is, you it is true of Foucault. It's definitely true of Foucault, and Foucault did uh, started off in the Marxist milieu. The CIA did get involved in promoting Foucault, but he started off in the Marxist milieu and he killed it. He killed it by doing his pact with the devil. And the pact with the devil is basically uh, you give us unlimited sexual liberation and we won't bother you about economics. That is the neo-Marxism. That's the new left. That is the legacy of Michel Foucault. By the way, Michel Foucault is in trouble now, too. His reputation is going down. Because I, know, I know you're going to be shocked to hear this, but he was a pedophile. I know that's shocking to hear that. He was paying Algerian boys, throwing money around so that he could have sex with Algerian boys in the in the, some cemetery. Uh, was it Algeria or Tunisia? No, Tunisia, I think it was. Uh, so I know that's your shock to hear that. I We have an article on it in Culture Wars magazine. The people in France that I'm talking to are saying they don't care uh, that he's a pedophile, but they're exposing him as a pedophile because Foucault is... Uh, was it would be against COVID. He would be against the COVID lockdown because he was very critical of this uh, pseudo-omniscience that the medical establishment is notorious for exhibiting. I th think Foucault also lobbied for lower lowering the age of consent, too. Yeah. He did. That's, and Derrida did, too. Derrida and Foucault signed the same petition. So... Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs>
I'll just say it with Carlota Pooch. Imagine my, imagine my shock. We are shocked. There's gambling going on at Rick's yeah. Cafe American. You're muted, host. Uh, another topic I wanted to talk about is uh, is Satanism, and it, it is connected. It, it is connected to. Um, wait a minute, just let me find it. Um, I forgot the name of aha uh -huh, this um, pop singer Billie Eilish or something. This pop singer Billie Eilish, uh, who looks like satanic a little bit, pop satanic, if I if I might say so, she gave an interview to to a British Vogue magazine, and she told them that uh, men were basically um, were basically weak and and so forth, but the 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 main thing she said and uh, why she. I got interested in in, in in her interview is that she said she promoted this uh, this uh, life philosophy that um, if you want something you, you you should you should just do it the so the, the life philosophy without boundaries without self-reflection without um, mm, and so forth uh, have you have you read this? Uh, yeah, this it's called "Do What Thou Wilt," and it was Aleister Crowley, and it showed he showed up on the Beatles album "Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band" in 1966. So, Billy, you're about 50 years behind the times here. He also said every man and woman will be a star or something, and I think. I, we've, we're living in his damned world, I think, you know, with social media and everybody, you know, on social media, everybody being their own little celebrity or trying to. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, in all, basically, it's evident that it all basically started with, with church. I, I had discussions a couple of days ago with, with fellow right-wingers, conservatives, even traditionalists, but these are people that are not Catholic or are not uh, religious, but they were brought up religious. Uh, they are nominally religious or whatever, and um, the way they think about religion or about Catholic churches is, uh, uh, I hate this word because it's it was used so many times, uh, but it, it's modern modernistic in the sense. Uh, what even many many uh, priests um, promoted is that you don't have to go to church, you don't have to 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 pray, you don't have to um, um, yeah, but basically be a church going person uh, to, to be to be saved. Right. For example, what, 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 Satanism is a tribute to the Catholic Church. Let's put it that way. The mm. Satanists don't take uh, Unitarian um, Unitarian services as the thing that they invert. What do they invert? They have to invert the Catholic Mass, so they have a Black Mass. What would you do? I'm, I'm trying to think of what would you do if uh, if you were going to 
ridicule the Unitarians. I'm not sure. Or, or There's not worth parodying the Unitarians because it's worthless. But they do take the black mass, they take the mass very seriously. They take it so seriously that they have to turn it upside down. And so there are all these perversions uh, of uh, the, because it's true. So uh, what is evil? Evil is parasitic on being. Evil is the absence of being. So there's no being here. The only being that Satanism has is what they borrow from the rituals of the Catholic Church. So think of that, Billy. Put that in your pipe and smoke it. <laughs> Billy, whatever you're smoking these days, put that in your crack pipe and smoke it. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I always thought the end result of Protestantism was going to be that we all go home and sit in our houses and think about God because, you know, that seems to be the... the Every the, man his own priest. Yeah. Without a church, what do you have, though? You know, I mean, you know, everybody keeping their own counsel, really. It's the legacy of Protestantism. Uh, isolation, uh, proliferation of sects to the point that there are thousands and thousands of sects. Uh, the man, I, I bumped it, you bump into this all the time. I just, I just had a, we had had a little conversation with Owen Benjamin. And um, he's got a... Uh, mentor i think by the name of vox day uh it's not his real name i think his name is beal but anyway uh he has this manifesto up there and he says i don't believe in anything but what's in the bible so i don't believe in the trinity and i don't believe in the rapture well wait a minute you're putting the trinity and the rapture together this is really really weird you know and then secondly are you the first guy that ever got it right uh, that was what the Catholics said to Martin Luther at, at this time. And now after 500 years, Protestantism just went up. It evaporated, you know. They took the stopper off. It all evaporated. There was nothing left. And so we are, people are looking around for a new identity. I've said this to my friend uh, Frodi Mitjord, the Norwegian, who was trying. I was hoping to come to uh, Yugoslavia, although they don't call it that anymore. I was hoping to come to Zagreb to debate the white boys. Uh, but I've tried to talk to Frodi about this. When, when he was born, he was baptized into the Lutheran church in Norway. And that church uh, ceased to exist, certainly as the established church of that country. It created uh, a uh, vacuum all throughout the former Protestant parts of Europe. And I think Billy, uh, Billy is English. I think she's, he or she is English. And this is a manifestation of some type of uh, identity quest that can't be resolved according to the, uh, the, the current categories of, of uh, religion, the Protestant faith. What are people bringing to religion now? <laughs> I mean, uh, that's part of it, too. I mean, the understanding before was simply that you went to worship, and now people go for self-improvement, for these sort of Protestant modern ideas, you know. What's the church going to do for me? I think a lot of people are hurt because the, the pornography thing damaged a lot of people, and they knew they were slaves to their passions. And that woke them up. This is the way God works in human history. He allows you, gives you enough rope to hang yourself so that you can wake up and realize you're a mess and you, you can't control your life anymore. And that's the first, the scales fall from your eyes and you need to repent. 
And that's good. That's good. And I think that would happen. So a lot of people came. Uh, I get people telling me that, you know, they stopped engaging in that pornographic lifestyle. And they got baptized and now they're married and they have kids. So good for them. That's what they're bringing to it. But we need something, some authority to, for one thing, uh, ban pornography, God forbid, or something like that. I mean, well, that's everybody's the on their own. The role of government is to protect people from things that are pernicious. And there was a time when government uh, protected you from pornography. It was illegal. Okay? Right. Uh, there's one group of people uh, that is responsible for this, and we have to name that name, okay? Who's responsible for the proliferation of pornography? Who is the main group behind pornography? Gay marriage, usury. It's the Jews. And the Jews, as soon as we allowed them control over our culture, they turned it into hell on earth for these people. So they have to be held accountable for what they did. You've written about uh, how the Catholics used to take it upon themselves, the movie rating system and other things, right? It was kind of a battle between Jews and Catholics. That's absolutely right. It wasn't a movie rating system. It was a prohibition of certain kind of movies. And so every Hollywood script has to go through somebody like Joe Breen in Hollywood, who was the head of the production code. And if it had things like nudity or blasphemy or even approaching that, it didn't get produced. It's not that it got produced and they said, oh yeah, this one's an X and that one's an R and that was a PG-13. No, it never got produced. And so you were spared going through this type of rigmarole. Well, when you allow those people, you, when you allow the Jews in Hollywood to create that mind, that collective mind, they're going to take over. And that's precisely what they did. And now they rule you with an iron rod. Okay, uh, they, are, they are the people that can call you an anti-Semite or say that you're engaged in hate speech and you will be banned from the Internet and banned from here and banned from there. That's all the result of allowing them to determine what gets into the public mind through Hollywood films. We never knew we were doing that. Right. I mean, it was all disguised as we were just getting more liberal. All of us. That's the word they used. Yeah. There were people who knew and the, and they were ignored. They were ignored because I, I, I think the main, one of the main, the main factor was the Second Vatican Council. I am not a man who thinks it's bad or heretical or anything like that. But once they passed Nostra Tate and then there was this illusion that Jews were our friends and that we should, you know, dialogue with them. Second Vatican Council ended in 1965. Hollywood broke the code in 1965 with the film The Pawn Broker. That's not a coincidence. The Catholics lost their nerve. They ran up the white flag, and the result has been a disaster ever since. But has there ever been a real dialogue between Catholic Church and, and, and the Talmudic tribe, as someone put it, um, or was it was yes. always yes the dispute of Tortosa, okay the church forced the Jews forced the rabbis to come and listen to rabbis who had converted explain the uh, tenets of the Catholic Church and explain the blasphemies of the Talmud 
Okay, and then the rabbis were completely befuddled. They didn't know what to say. So the, the, the uh, I forget the guy's name, the converted uh, rabbi says to him, well, doesn't it say that Jesus is in hell up to his neck and burning excrement? Doesn't it say that? And the, guy, the rabbi says, yes, but that's another Jesus. <laughs> Someone said this is the beginning of Jewish comedy. When, 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 when you have a question, when you have an answer like that, it became obvious that the Jews could not, in honest debate, could not deal with the Catholic objections to what they were doing. They lost the debate, and as a result, there were mass conversions from Judaism to Catholicism, and that created a whole new set of problems. The Converso crisis in Spain was a result of those mass conversions. That's another story. I cover all of this in the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Uh, the second edition will, is now available. Go to culturewars.com and buy a copy. <clears throat> there's, there's a question. Um, Michael Shelby, Catholics have internalized guilt about what the Nazis did. Why? Catholics? You mean German Catholics? And the German Catholics did this uh, because they were subjected to the most ruthless form of social engineering in human history. This began right after World War II, right after the Morgenthau plan to starve the Germans to death was replaced by the Marshall Plan, which gave them money. They were uh, encouraged to buy pornography. They had to go to a, in order to do anything, intellectual you had to get a license if you wanted to publish a book or a magazine or uh, publish a film and uh, produce a film or a tv series you had to go to a jewish psychiatrist from new york city by the name of david mordecai levy and you had to lie down on the psychiatrist's couch and write an essay about how bad germans are and also, all what you this is I'm not making this up. This is also in in this is in Logos Rising, the chapter on uh, Werner Heisenberg and Jewish science. This this psychiatrist would then ask you, when did you have uh, first time you had sexual intercourse? Uh, wh why do you need to know that? Well, because they were promoting people. The earlier you had sexual intercourse the more likely you were to get uh, the license because that showed you a rebellion. You were in rebellion against the moral law. That's why that's, it, it, it's a miracle that the Germans are still there. But the problem was that they did succumb to the social engineering and sexual morality was corrupted in a very serious fashion in Germany during this period of time. I was there. I was teaching school at a gymnasium in Germany in the 70s, in the mid-70s, and I saw it firsthand. These films that were showing up there. Schulmädchen Report, Dreizehnte Folge, beim Jodeln juckt die Lederhose. This type of... <laughs> Alice thinks that's funny. <laughs> you can find... It's on YouTube, Alice. You can watch this softcore porn. I, will, I, just, I just find the... the I, I know I know to speak German. I can Deutsch sprechen, but it's it sounds so funny. German language. So I don't know why, but it sounds so funny. Whenever you speak about porn uh, in uh, in Germany, it sounds so funny. 
Yes. Well, that did it. I mean, I was there when it happened. There was They were subjected to this, and uh, they know the weaknesses of people, and they did that. That's that simple. They're denazifying us right now in this country, aren't they? They're kind of going through the same so thing. So the other thing is, the farther you get away from what happened in World War II, the worse it gets. So I was there in the 70s, probably because I could talk to people who were in the Wehrmacht who had actually been through it. Like the fathers of the my uh, my friends uh, at that time, I was 25 years old when I arrived there. They were still there. They could talk about it in a, in a realistic fashion. You can't do that anymore because they're all dead. And so you've got this imaginary Hollywood confection known as Holocaust porn. So the successor of uh, the pawnbroker is Schindler's List, Holocaust porn. Holocaust porn. Um, there, there was a, yeah. Can you ask Dr. Jones why Owen Benjamin is so opposed to the Trinity? Does he have any good argumentation or any argumentation no. at all? When you talk about as something as sublime as the Trinity, you're going to be end up talking about yourself. That's what he, and that's what Owen was doing. I tried. I, I I have misgivings about the way we went about it. It was you know we show up unannounced and what he thought was being a discussion with Milo, and I think he felt that we were accusing him. It seemed everything seemed okay when we did it, but during the, Milo said to me, "Can you explain to me what's happening?" I think I said, "Yeah, I think I can." God is an exalted father. You get your idea of God from your father. Owen's father was a homosexual. And so he got this bad idea. And so he extrapolates this from his bad experience with his father to the Trinity, where we talk about God the Father. Well, that's known as blasphemy. Okay? And there, it's compounded by the fact that Owen has an identity as a stand-up comic. And uh, he lives in a Jewish culture where they don't understand that certain things, certain things aren't funny and certain things you shouldn't make fun of. And if there's anything, it's the Trinity. You shouldn't do it. So he slipped into something. And then instead of just saying gracefully, backing away gracefully, saying, uh, yeah, uh, you're right. I shouldn't do it. I think he's doubling down. And now he's attacking me and other people. Doesn't matter. I understand, I understand what's going on. I have no animus against Owen Benjamin. I like the guy. I went to his uh, stand-up routine. This is known as fraternal correction. Uh, if you're blaspheming the Trinity, I, you should be open to people saying, no, that's bad to do that. Uh, we probably should have gone about it in another way, but it, it is what it is. He started off by making public statements. This was a kind of public statement. I mean, I think that's the rationale. If I had it to do over again, I would have done it a different way. Um, uh, another question. This is a question I, I ask all, um, very often um, uh, Americans. Mm. What about the Orthodox Jews uh, that think conservatively, that are traditionalist, at least in a social, in a cultural way, like the famous, the infamous American political commentator Ben Shapiro, for example? How do you do you see him? For example, he's obviously conservative in the sense that he is against transgenderism, homosexuality, LGBT, and so forth, but how how does a a um, an orthodox a religious Jew think differently than than a secular ethnic atheistic Jew that doesn't respect any tradition uh, at all? See, 
uh, the ortho, or, uh, Hasidim, Hasid, this Hasid movement came into being a, as a reaction to Shabbatai Zevi and the, the whole disillusionment that spread through the pale of the sh settlement after he converted to uh, Islam. So they just wanted to go off and be by themselves. Okay, so America is the perfect place to go off and be by yourself. That's, people do it all the time. There's plenty of space here. You can go off and be by yourself. Uh, when I, I was at a conference in, in Iran, in Mashhad, Rabbi uh, David Weiss was there. Uh, he's a member of Netarai Karta, who thinks that uh, uh, Israel and Zionism are an abomination and uh, has suffered as a result of that. I said to everyone there, I said, look, if all the Jews were like Rabbi David Weiss, we wouldn't have a problem because America is a place where you can go off and live by yourself if you want to. All of these ethnic groups came here. They set up their own little colony. Texas is full of places like this, you know. The Germans went there to live by themselves. It's a big place. That's fine. But the problem is that America declared war on ethnicity after World War II. And their allies were these revolutionary Jews. And I'm talking specifically about the Frankfurt School that was brought over here by the uh, American Jewish Committee they collaborated on a book called The Authoritarian Personality, which was an attack on Logos, on the Logos of the family, uh, because they knew that the family was the enemy if you want to take over the culture. So the problem here is the revolutionary spirit, which constantly has this compulsion to change the world according to the way they want it to be. And that has led to all of the damage, and including damage to Jews damage to Jews who want to just go off and live by themselves. I'm not saying that those Jews aren't in rebellion against Logos. They are. They are in rebellion against Logos, but in a different way. The Talmud is rebellion against Logos. Ben Shapiro, in his own way, in his snarky kind of way, is uh, uh, it, uh, uh, what we call it in German, since we're talking German here, a Katholiken Fresser. He had a uh, he had a uh, interview with Bishop Barron, and he kind of looks at him with this kind of superior attitude and says to Bishop Barron, am I going to hell? And Bishop Barron uh, completely flubbed that. He made a fool out of himself. He made a fool out of Catholic doctrine. So I'm going to tell His Excellency what he should have said, okay, instead of all the mumbo-jumbo we went through. Your Excellency, you should have said to Ben Shapiro, Ben, are you baptized? Uh, ben would have to say no, and then at that point you say, Ben, baptism is necessary for salvation. Now, there we are, maybe uh, if you live in the Amazon rainforest in 5000 BC, you cannot know who Jesus Christ is, okay? And God will deal with those people according to how well they conform to the moral law, okay? But then you know who Jesus Christ is, you can't plead invincible ignorance here, and you are refusing to be baptized. If you refuse to be baptized, you cannot be saved. Does that answer your question, Ben? Well, the, how is it possible that such a um, experience and, and articulate uh, man such as uh, Father uh, Bishop Barron 
Why? Why would he do that? Does he believe that? Was he afraid of there's, saying? There's a two-word answer to that question. It's called Nostra Aetate, which is the Vatican II document on other religions, specifically on the Jews. That it, it ruined his mind. Okay, it ruined his mind. He he cannot think properly because his mind has been deranged by Vatican II. And I am not claiming that their Vatican II is heretical. I'm claiming that it can be interpreted in the light of tradition, and Bishop Barron is not doing it. He's not doing it. His mind is crippled. He cannot. He's not focusing on the Catholic faith. The Jews are the people who killed Christ, and they are enemies of the entire human race. Now, if you that's that, who said that? Was it Adolf Hitler? No, it was Saint Paul who said that. Who was a former Jew himself? Okay, so he should know. Now, anything that you take out of Vatican II has to be in interpreted in light of things like that that were said by Saint Paul. If you come up with this idea that Jews can be saved uh, without baptism, you are not preaching the Catholic faith. Didn't they essentially surrender when they decided we're not going to try and convert the Jews? It's, yes. Know. Yes, you cannot. By everything I do is predicated on the conversion of the Jews. And that's why I am public enemy number one, because they know what I'm doing. I'm not saying, I've always said, we have to get back to the traditional teaching of, of the church on the Jews, which is secret judeus non. Two parts. No one has the right to harm the Jew. On the other hand, the Jew has no right to destroy your culture. So if we can put those two things together, we can come up with a, a modus vivendi, I think, that will be much better than what we have right now, which is basically Jewish terrorism. That's the world we live in. Any Jew can come up to you and say you're an anti-Semite and destroy you. No one should have that power. No one. Well, we have zero power in this world now, so we can't even think about approaching them on an equal on equal terms and reaching the modus of Vandy. Because they have all the power. We have we have truth on our side. We have logos on our side, and uh, the proof that they uh, I am living proof that they take logos seriously. Okay, they chose me to. They they know they can't. I, I am. I, I don't want to. I don't want to brag here, but I am like Saint Stephen, the proto martyr. Okay, when you stand up there and you you come up with an argument that the Jews can't refute. What do they do? They pick up stones and they want to kill you. And so the, the way they do you, this now is uh, deplatforming you and all this other type of stuff when they can't refute your arguments. Proof that they cannot refute these arguments is all of this censorship that is going on right now. We don't need any more proof. <clears throat> Our last topic. Um Oscars, this year's Oscars. Um, Oscars were long held as a big part of what we in Europe called American culture. And it's, it seems really bad right now. Why are you uh, laughing? <laughs> he thinks that's funny. <laughs> this is serious, Alex. This is America, buddy. And you better... <laughs> Yeah, 
Um, so did, did you guys watch the, the Oscars? And uh, are you are you crazy? Do you think I would waste my time watching those those creeps uh, fawn all over each other? One of the only the only positive thing that comes out of the COVID uh, pandemic is the destruction of the Oscar ceremony. I think it's one of the few positive things to come out of this. Although apparently they still had it anyway. Yeah, I watched like half of it. It's hard to get through. Has it ever been so pathetic uh, as as this year? N never, never. It, they they would always pander to blacks and and to Jews and to homosexuals and to I don't know transgenders or whatever. But this year they they really took it a a, a level a level further with, with their uh, pandering to, to, to the blacks. This was really... Um... It was produced by Steven Soderbergh, the Jewish director who... You know, he made those Ocean's Eleven movies, like remakes of these old caper flicks. And his whole thing is to do really slick, sort of sophisticated work like that. And I watched this, and it's like he tried. The, the he made he tried to make it into one of his little slick movies, right? And and the the plot was black people take over the Oscars. That's what it was. It's not anymore like you know. Oh, they get up and they have their pet causes, and uh, we have to sit through their 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 speeches about politics or whatever. No, this was from the start. This is the black Oscars, you know, and. and uh, it's like the first of the new sort of Oscars, right? Um, yeah. This is the cunning of reason. This the same thing is happening with uh, the NBA. The same thing is happening with pro football. It's being politicized by this ridiculous virtue signaling by people who are just uh, degenerates. If if <laughs> they've been, they've never been anything but degenerates. This is what Joe Breen was complaining about in the 1930s, and it goes all the way up to Harvey Weinstein, who was basically a scapegoat to preserve Hollywood degeneracy. That's what scapegoats do. So now they're up there virtue signaling about race, as if that, as if we don't know what's going on. This is the cunning of reason. This is the way God moves in human history. They're destroying their own operation. Every, uh, 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 every time LeBron James gets up there and bloviates about Black Lives Matter, he's driving people out of the out of the arena. People don't go to basketball games to be insulted uh, by people calling them racist. Football, nobody's going to football. What that was before COVID. The stadiums were empty. God, thank God for COVID. They had an excuse to have empty stadiums now. Yeah, but they just keep going, right? I mean, people say uh, not for, and nothing goes on forever. And Hollywood is in big trouble right now because of Netflix and that type of stuff. It has killed the the old traditional Hollywood movie. I'll tell you what killed the movie. It was Steven Soderbergh. Watch Steven Soderbergh's movie Side Effects. Ah, what a piece of crap that was. It was it was 90 minutes of product placement for Big okay. Pharma. And he even he was so disgusted by it, he left and he went over to, uh, I, it was either HBO or, or Netflix. He, he just walked out of Hollywood. It was product placement. Look at product placement and how that has crept up to the point where what? James James Bond is driving a Chevy now? Is he? That's 
Yeah, it's just I only realize now that a lot of this maybe is about uh, getting us to forget about Harvey Weinstein and all that. Uh, so they're just going to embrace the, the black cause, you know? Well, that's the civic religion. It's the civil rights movement. That's our civic religion. And so you want to say, what? you give them an impression. You've been washed in the blood of the lamb. And you've been washed in the blood of the lamb. And proof is we're going to have this Negro here. And he's going to stand up there and tell you how bad we are. I mean, what more do yeah. we need here? <laughs> it's a weird thing. I don't think anybody's buying the story except for the black people. They don't it's seem the, to be it's aware. The, it's the black Jewish alliance all over again. When do these blacks want to wake up to the fact that they are proxy warriors for the big the big Jew uh, behind behind the curtain, George Soros or whatever. Well, they're they're doing well. I think you know, and from their point of view, maybe they figure this is the best we can do. You know, if we're striking out on our own, trying to earn our keep on our own, we'll never get all this. The Jews just handed them Hollywood. <laughs> Didn't really in a show. <laughs> what what type of Hollywood did they hand yeah. them? What type of Hollywood did yeah. you? It's not the Hollywood of uh, of Cary Grant yeah. or, or the golden age of the 50s. Right. Do you think LeBron James is stupid, uneducated, both of that, or would or is he afraid to to not be able to contest for the title of uh, uh, the best there ever was? Uh, would he lose his job, or would the, the Jews make him not win the, the, the symbolic title of being better than Michael Jordan in jumping or hooping no, or whatever? LeBron, if LeBron James came out for Donald Trump, he'd lose his job. I guarantee you that would have happened. Yeah. So he knows he knows which side his bread is buttered on. And that's what he did. Now, is is he stupid? I mean, far be it from me. I've never, I've never uh, had a conversation with LeBron James. I know that strikes you as surprising, but I've never, I don't travel in those circles. Okay, I'm just saying that. Uh, okay, what have you done for your entire life? Okay, when did you start playing basketball? I know you didn't go to college. LeBron went straight from whatever it was, high school, uh, all the way to the NBA. So, uh, have you? had time to sit down and do some research on uh, and come up with some type of analysis of the culture? No, probably not, because you've been playing basketball the whole time. And, you know, if that's all you do, that's all you know. So you're good for you, okay? But you don't know much. And so it's better if you don't just spout off in front of millions of people and display your ignorance, you know? I'm Not, not that I'm, I have nothing against LeBron James. I'm sure he could beat me at one-on-one uh, -on -one in basketball. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think he's, I think he's an, uh, a naif. He doesn't understand what's really happening here. I don't think he gives it the deep consideration. The only the, way you, the only way you come to wisdom in this regard is by doing something like what Joe, uh, Owen Benjamin did, who was on his way to stardom in Hollywood. And then he said that uh, uh, transgenderism is child abuse. Well, if, if LeBron James were to say transgenderism is child abuse, he would be gone. I guarantee you, and I think he knows that. So he's going to take a safe cause. He's going to, he's going to uh, you know, strut around with Black Lives Matter, knowing that this is like what you used to say was, you know, God, uh, motherhood, and apple pie. Uh, that's what it is now. 
I'd be curious to see somebody do it. I would like to see how yes, they can't just go fire. Him. It happens all the time. It happens all the time. How would they get rid of him, though? Just curious. How would they get rid of LeBron James if he came out tomorrow and said, you know what? The Jews run Hollywood. and It sucks. <laughs> you know, they, they, they know they've got to get rid of him, but they can't just go fire him. And if the coach benches him, you know, I mean, how do you get away LeBron, with that? Are you, are you listening, LeBron? Why don't you do it? And we'll be able to answer this question. Yeah. You're the big guy. Are you a bit, are you the, are you more powerful than <clears throat> the Jews who run uh, the NBA? Adam Silver, who make, uh, let's, let's put say, uh, let's start off by criticizing China. Okay. Criticize China. No, no, you can't do that in the NBA because China is now the big market for basketball. So uh, I don't think there's any doubt about the, the outcome here or what the boundaries are. It's just amazing they all observe them so well. You know? Yeah, that, that quote, by the way, is good. The Kanye West straight off the uh, reservation. And that, you know, that shows you the bad. There are boundaries there, you know. You touch the third rail, you're electrocuted. You did. Yeah. Did you see that video of, of LeBron in his um, locker room with, with, with a book, bio, a biography about Malcolm X? And the journalist asked him about what's the book all about? How is it? Uh, and he said he obviously didn't read it. He was on the first page and he probably walks around with that book. I've got a question for you, LeBron. Who wrote the autobiography of Malcolm X? <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> this is not, this is not a trick question. What yeah. is the answer to that question? Oh my God. The answer is Alex Haley. <laughs> is that true? Yeah, he wrote, know that. he wrote the autobiography of Malcolm X. Mm. Yeah, I did. I didn't read it, but I uh, all I heard from LeBron was, uh, "Yeah, he was a smart man, <laughs> important oh. man." <laughs> yeah. yeah, be careful. You're out there talking about stuff you don't know about. I guess. <laughs> you should have watched the movie. There's a film version. You could have watched. I that. did watch the movie. I did watch the movie. What did you think of it? I wrote a whole article about it, uh, about father deprivation and the whole projection of race, using race as a cover for your sexual deviance. That's what that movie was about. Spike Lee did the movie. It was other. It killed Spike Lee's career. He was the up-and-coming black guy. He could walk right. in at that point and say, "I, you have to make me the director. No white guy can direct this movie. And he did it and kind of said things that he, uh, he didn't really, he didn't really understand what he was saying about that movie. I think other people did, and I think that's why his, his career sort of ended there. Someone released a biography of Malcolm X years later. That, that I read it. I, I read it, and I included that in my analysis. The comp, the comp, the conflict between the biography and the autobiography. That book was pretty much buried too. I'm surprised it even got printed. I guess not. Maybe that's one. That's the one LeBron should be reading. <laughs> Off-topic question: um, What's the best way for American, Slovenian, slash Croatians 
to support Croatia slash Slovenia and prevent the mass exodus of its citizens. Will the old cellos be bought up by foreign interests? I, I just actually I just gave a talk in Chicago to the Lithuanians. Uh, and the main the main danger to being Lithuanian or Slovenian or Croatian in America is identity theft. And the main vehicle of identity theft is race. So that uh, when you come to America, the Lithuanians come there, they have their own neighborhood in Market Park, and then suddenly the blacks show up. This is Martin Luther King, by the way. And suddenly they become white. So don't become white. Okay, that's that's the si simplest way to maintain your identity as a Croatian. Okay, but the problem here is that you can't be a Croatian in any place but Croatia. That's the problem. And then so you get married over here, and the the Lithuanians have their Lithuanian society. All those beautiful wood carvings in that place on the south side of Chicago. I mean, southwest side, way southwest side. Uh, and uh, you're going to get married, and your children are going to grow up in Chicago. And that's the second generation. And then when they get old enough, they probably won't marry a Lithuanian because they didn't go to school with Lithuanians. And you're going to marry the woman that you find attractive. And then the third generation is going to be even farther removed. And that's why I'm saying that the triple melting pot applies to America because by the third generation, by the third generation, uh, religion is the source of the identity because Unless you try real hard, your children, your grandchildren are not going to speak Lithuanian. That's just the way it happens. It, you know, you can try all you want, but it just doesn't happen. That's the story of my life. That's why I'm biracial. I may be biracial, but I'm not white. Okay. I'm, I'm Irish and German. I was never white. I was always that Catholic. Catholic was my ethnic identity. That's why I get in trouble with the white boys. I'm, by the way, I'm hoping to come to Zagreb again. Uh, I was supposed to be there a year ago debating uh, Jared Taylor in front of those all those white boys. <laughs> and it didn't happen. I can't think of a better place to debate this than in Yugoslavia, okay, where the difference is uh, just the same as in America. It's three ethnic groups based on uh, three different religions, just like America. And white has no meaning whatsoever, even though Tom Sunich thinks he's a white guy. Tom was on your program. He showed up. I asked him when he became white. He didn't have an answer to that. But I'm hoping that we can get to Zagreb eventually. Yeah, I, I hope to. Have you? Um, did you speak with uh, with, with uh, Frodi Midjord yeah, about? Yeah, just I was on his show just a week ago, and he's waiting for the COVID thing to be lifted. Now, I just saw the news report saying, hey, you can go to America if you get your second vaccination. <laughs> no, thanks. Europe will have to do without me. I'm not getting a vaccine to get on the plane. Sorry. We have to fight this. This is real tyranny right now. Uh, and they're abolishing our right to travel. It all seems very convenient for plans they had before it came along, doesn't it? I think it's, that's, that's the plan. It was used this to end the Yellow Vest protest in France. To people, the oligarchs think we have way too many rights that are outmoded, and this is the way to destroy them. This is what's going on right now. This is why we have to resist. But this BLM thing intruded, you know, uh, 
and I'm not sure that they necessarily planned on that. Uh, but you know, with uh, George Floyd and last summer. Yeah, I, I that lady keeps uh, lady, God bless her, keeps writing to me about ethnicity here on the screen, and I, I feel obliged to answer a question. You can't. I I was. My my mother's family is German. Uh, she doesn't speak a word of German. I had to go to Germany to learn German to make contact with my German roots. Uh, I could I could have stayed in Germany. They wanted me to stay there for some crazy reason. I went back to America. Uh, now I understand that I could never have done what I have done in terms of writing books like the Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. I could not have done that in Germany. So this is all part of God's plan for my life. I had to go back to Germany to recontact, re make, uh, reconnect with the Catholic Church because I was apostate at that point. I understand to go there to understand the universality of the church, but I had to come back to America to write about it. And what we're what we're struggling for is the ability to have an identity. Can we can we determine our identity, or is there going to be somebody well, who comes to me and says, "No, you're white. No, I'm not. I'm not. That's identity theft." I don't know. I think it's a fait accompli we have to accept. We, we're not going to defend ourselves as German Americans, as Irish Americans, as anything else, because they've done away with that. Uh, if you if you identify as white, you will lose. I guarantee you. That's a death sentence. Because as soon as you're white, you're racist. And as soon as you're racist, you lose. I did this in, in St. Louis where identity theft was going on in a massive way. The guy, the, the phony Muslim who was trying to uh, orchestrate taking down the statue said it was white supremacists. That was identity theft. They were all Catholics. They were praying the rosary. As soon as I reoriented that, it changed the whole dynamic because suddenly it's Catholic versus Jews, and it's not apparent who's going to win in that battle. Where if it's black versus white, you know who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. That statue is still standing because we resisted identity theft in St. Louis. I identity, yeah, identity, uh, it's the triple melting pot. Your ethnic identity in America is Protestant, Catholic, Jew. Black and white is a counter narrative to that to destroy ethnic identity. So aren't Protestant and Catholic whites a coherent group we call white Americans? It's not a coherent group. It's a category of the mind. It's like deplorables. Are you a deplorable? It's like the biker rally. I was at a biker rally. Someone yelled, hey, asshole, and everybody turned around. <laughs> well, I was thinking Do about those Catholics. They got, I mean, how did the rest of the, you know that, they know that, people on the ground know what actually happened. All of us out here watching the news think it was this thing between white people and Antifar, whoever the hell it was that showed up to harass them. Yes, of course. That's the narrative that's being imposed on us. It's social engineering. What is the basis of social engineering? It's Brown versus School Board, the Supreme Court decision in 1954 that declared segregation illegal. That established racial categories as the identity armature in the United States of America. And it abolished the ethnic identities that were still the main source of identity in places like Chicago. At that time, there were Irish neighborhoods and Polish neighborhoods and German neighborhoods. 
And Ground versus School Board came along and tried to abolish that. And the man who brought it to Chicago was Martin Luther King. He was the one who showed up at Marquette Park. He was the one who, who, who what, what are you protesting here? There's no segregation in Chicago. It's ethnic neighborhoods. That's not segregation. That's self. You want to live with people you can talk to. And if you just came over from Lithuania, you better talk to Lithuanians. It's that simple. How long could that have lasted, though, absent the Jews and the blacks to mess things That's up? That's a good question. That is a good question. It's like, how long could slavery have lasted if there weren't a civil war? We would have been a better place if there had been no civil war and those people who are Christians down there, black and white Christians, had worked it out according to Christian principles. Better than the civil war. And uh, this same thing would have happened here in places like Chicago, uh, without the social engineering. It would have been a better place. And we all recognize that. It came, became apparent in the 70s with the Godfather movies. Godfather movies were nostalgia for the ethnic neighborhood. Nostalgia for an Italian neighborhood that we never knew. Well, I, I knew it. I, I knew it in Philadelphia. It was 9th Street. I knew how you go there. You could still go there when I was young. It was an Italian neighborhood, and we liked it. That scene at the beginning of this, the second Godfather, where they're having that procession with that statue of Jesus. In Sicily, with, yeah. With, no, this is in, in New York. This is clearly in Brooklyn uh, or wherever it was in New York. But, I mean, the statue with all those dollar bills stuck to it. Right. And, uh, it, it was just – it just – tugged at the heartstrings of Americans who miss the ethnic neighborhood. There are a few left who have any memory of it now. Well, the Italians disappeared. Why did the Italians disappear? Because they all married other groups, other ethnic groups. That's my, my, I, I had an Italian uncle and obviously his children are Irish Italian. And then it goes down and down and down to the point where you really don't have there's so, the parts are broken up to so small that uh, you don't you can't identify with any of them. But that's because you're an American. But you're not just an American. You're either a Catholic American or a Protestant American or a Jewish American. And now there's Muslim Americans, obviously. But that, when that was formulated, they weren't big enough to have their own uh, representation. <clears throat> Two questions before we finish for tonight. Uh, what do the guests think of the Masonic infiltrating the Catholic Church, if you have any opinion about it? Well, that was a, so, it was a serious issue in the 18th century in France. A serious issue because the, the uh, English Whigs weaponized the Masonic Lodge and they spread Freemasonry throughout Europe, especially France, to, to, uh, to bring about the downfall of the uh, Bourbon monarchy. So it was the crucial revolutionary issue in the 18th century in Europe. It's now a defunct, obsolete uh, revolutionary movement. This is, this is not me. This is the, uh, uh, the Duke of Orléans who changed his name to Philippe Egalité, uh, and then they decided to chop his head off, and he wrote a memoir, and he said, Freemasonry is the candle, but revolution is the sun. And when the sun rises, the candle is no longer necessary. Okay. Mm. 
A Catholic family converts to Protestantism. What's the best book narrative to help them see how they've been led astray? Bio of Luther, Vatican II. I took them to church, but they were bored. Uh, James Joyce, someone asked James Joyce, uh, why are you an atheist? Why don't you become a Protestant? And James Joyce said, sir, I lost my faith, not my reason. <laughs> <laughs> so, my, I have a chapter on Luther in uh, Degenerate Moderns. I recommend it to all your former Protestant friends. Uh, Protestantism is a spent force. It began as a looting operation. If you look into the history, that's clear. It's all it was in England. And it it lasted for 500 years, and it's evaporated. You can't – what do you mean by becoming a Protestant now? It's not what it was. It's not what it was. There are all kinds of remnant churches out there, storefronts, prosperity gospel churches in the – in California that will tell you God wanted you to get that BMW, you know, that type of thing. Uh, it's pretty much a, a, a sinking ship. Uh, so join the original ship that is going to outlast it. Okay, guys, we've uh, been talking for an hour and a half. Um, do you have any final thoughts on to tonight's or today's uh, conversation. Thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Alish. Um, God bless okay. Slovenia. God bless all those ethnic groups. Help them to preserve their identity uh, by understanding the basis of their uh, uh, logos in their lives. Don't become white. Don't be white. It's not okay to be white. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get black because of, <laughs> yeah. he's a self-hating white guy. That's what they're going to say. That's what they're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> that is. Oh, thank you. Just been really nice to meet uh, Dr. Jones. And, and thanks for this fascinating conversation. I, I hope you guys can, um, can get each other's contacts and maybe you can. Um, get Dr. Johnson on your channel too. If yeah, well, we start going. Wants to, if he wants to, Dr. Jones, um, Dennis, uh, thank you. It's it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. Peace.